Thank you for listening to Alan's Rant. We're coming up to nearly four years since my first ever podcast. I'd like to thank everyone for supporting me up until this point. I'd also like to take this chance to thank everyone who's donated to the podcast through my Patreon page. There's a link under all my podcast links and any donations go an absolutely huge and very long way in making this podcast continue to grow and exist. So thank you for all your support up until this point. Welcome to the latest episode of Rallon's Rant. Today I'm joined by a very special guest, no other than my father. David, welcome on the show. It has been four years in the making to get you on, but we finally have got a 45-50 minute period in which you're able to come on, so I want to thank you for that. So uh, how are you getting on today? Uh, um, well, listen, uh, I would have been on earlier, but I had a, a small... Uh, issue uh, with the security forces. I was in Manchoy for five years for fraud. But now that I'm out, uh, I'm much more than happy to talk to you. Fantastic. Well, what I do with most of my guests is I get them to think about back to their childhood. And mm. when you think back to your childhood, what are some of the earliest memories you have, whether they're good or bad? What has stuck with you to now? Well, that's a very good question, Richie. I remember I was born at a, a very early age in 1953 in Coombe Hospital uh, within the sound of the Liberty Bell. So I actually, I am a, a true dub. Uh, the earliest memories I would have, I think my sister, who is my Irish twin, she was born uh, a year earlier than, earlier than I was on the 3rd of August, the same date as I was, uh, but a year in between. So that's kind of an Irish twin. Uh, we were renting a house in Sun Drive. Uh, near Kimmage. I think it was my mother, my father, uh, my sister Ruth, uh, myself, and we might have been, and my sister Jean. And the vivid memory I have is on Sundrive Corner, uh, when we were kids, about five or six years of age, seven, uh, Christy Brown used to be on that corner outside. He lived in Kimmage, and he was in his wheelchair with his left foot, asking people to go in and get him fags and uh, he was a local celebrity and I vividly remember uh, once uh, him kicking somebody in the groin uh, who wouldn't go into to get him a packet of Carol's uh, cigarettes uh, and insulting him and that to this day is a memory I have and also uh, the people beside us in the house were three black doctors from Nigeria uh, which uh, when you think about the 50s and early 60s, uh, the only uh, black person uh, anybody saw was on a Hollywood movie, you know, Sidney Pottaway or something. Uh, this was amazing. But there were three do uh, Nigerian doctors who worked in uh, the health service um, uh, way back, and they were the only black people uh, any, any of us ever saw. Uh, it was amazing. A strange time. Very backward time very uh, bizarre time. Ireland was poor, uh, church-ridden, uh, no pun, pun intended, uh, <laughs> and no pun intended, the subsidy came out, uh, you know. Um, uh, so uh, it was a pretty miserable dump, as I would say. So I grew up in what was only described as bleak 50s, the bleaker 60s, and the slightly better 70s. Mm. And when you you think of your childhood, one of the biggest impacts I've had, and I'm only 25 now, but my college years and my schoolboy years, that shaped my humour, it shaped my, my pros, my cons to my characteristic or my character makeup. And you went to Temple Oak um, and you've no... No shyness about no, saying... No, well, Richie, I, I, I have to bring you back to... Um, uh, before I went to Temple Oak, I uh, was a very extraordinarily bright bright guy, a young guy, 
12 or 11, 11, 12 years of age. And in those days, we used to do scholarships, uh, you do exams to see whether you get into Sing Street, which is the alma mater of Gay Barn and a number of other uh, notaries in, in the world. Uh, and I, um, I got uh, into Sing Street in, in, in uh, 500 applied, and I got in the top 20. And I was sent in, uh, into Sing Street. Uh, but in Sing Street, they had an alpha class. It didn't mean you were going to be beaten any less or <laughs> whipped uh, any, any less. It was just that everything you had to learn was in Irish, Oskelga, as we used to call it. Uh, so you learned physics, chemistry, biology, English, uh, uh, geography, history, Oskelga. Uh, and I arrived in that place and, uh, to this day, it was a harrowing, harrowing experience. There were some beautiful um, brothers, uh, but there were some uh, right animals. In fact, one of the priests there was called the animal. <laughs> uh, he uh, was... What's uh, he get up to? He would have been kicked out of the Gestapo for cruelty. <laughs> he was an absolute animal. He had straps embedded with coins, which he used to beat the shit out of us, <laughs> even if he coughed uh, inadvertently. Uh, so anyway, uh, at the end, I came home one day uh, on the bus. I used to travel on the bus. I used to travel on the bus when I was eight or seven or eight years of age. All kids used to get on the bus. Nowadays, we have the uh, the big um, Sherman tanks driving little Johnny down to St. Michael's <laughs> in case he uh, sort of can't walk 60 yards to school. Um, so uh, I, uh, in those days, used to go home uh and uh, from Sing Street, and I said to my mother, and he said, what's wrong with your hands? I said, well, they're, they look like baseball uh, gloves because I was beaten so much. Uh, and, and she said, right, you're not going back to Sing Street. So I went to Temple Oak College uh, in my second year and became what could only be described as a superstar of the school <laughs> in every sense of the word, uh, a athlete, a rugby hero, uh, I became president of the school in my final year. Uh, when I made a public address, they all asked the candidates who were going to be president of Temple Oak College to make a speech. And I, of course, was the outsider in the presidential race, but um, I had about 20 to 1 until I made my speech. And I said, well, at the end of my speech, if I win this election, Father... I won't mention the man's name. He's dead yeah. now, but a noted paedophile. Uh, <laughs> uh, I said, uh, if I win, if I win, uh, uh, Father uh, Burr uh, <laughs> will be going back to West Africa on the mission. Because he said to me on the way in, he said, David, if you win this election, I'm packing my bags and going back to West Africa. Because it would be a total injustice. Uh, I did win it. I got 98% of the vote. And I became president of the school in Temple Co Also, I was a noted rugby player playing a semi-final in Donnybrook in front of my father, my dear father, who is RIP now. And um, he's not dead, he's just RIP. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so um, I had long red hair in those days, which was akin to have leprosy, you know, as you know. If you were a ginger in those days, people used to sort of say, my God, uh, what are you suffering from? I said, no, I'm just red-haired. Uh, so, um, Same today. So uh, semi-final, we lost to Turner. One of the Flannery brothers went over in the uh, 87 minutes and beat us. And we got to the quarterfinals against BlackRock. And, of course, they did give us a good thrashing in those days. But, um, and, uh, but I was ha I had happy... Uh, Happy life in uh, the Holy Ghost. Imagine, I can't believe, Andy, uh, if you're going to do a religion and a sect, that you would say, uh, and now would you like to join the Holy Ghost? Uh, I'm only seven years of age. Uh, but you want to join the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost? What kind of marketing is that? Of course, they changed it now. Now it's the Spirit and Fathers, as, mm. as we all know. Yeah. And you get you get through your 
six years of senior school and the amount of experiences, whether it's sports related or even, as you said, becoming the president uh, with your ginger locks, which must have been some up, uphill task to begin with. But that leads you to the graduation period. And back in those days, to give it a bit of context, nowadays, most 18, 19 year olds having a clue what they want to do in college, what they want to do five years down the line, what is the state of the economy we're going into? Like, what was it like finishing school? Like, what was the expectations on you when you finished your leaving cert? Was it just to graft? Was it to go to college? Was it to get work straight away? Like, what transpired the year or two after you um, finished your leaving cert with Temple Oak? Yeah, well, you have to remember... In the late 70s, uh, Ireland was, uh, uh, pardon the French, a shithole. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, there was no jobs. Uh, and uh, I got a job in the Turf Club, which was uh, uh, run by uh, Lord such and such, who was upstairs. And we were used to do all the, uh, dare I say, the racing cards and, and all the uh, applications for uh, horse racing and and the uh, you know the veterinary uh, 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 introductions to all the, all the race meetings. Everybody yeah. had to be cleared, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I worked there for a couple of months, um, uh, and then I went to uh, UCD to study commerce, uh, and uh, I was no more. Uh, interested in commerce or business or anything. It was something I just drifted into. But it was a strange time. It was the first year of uh, Belfield. It was a crazy place. Uh, it was during the time of the Troubles in Northern Ireland. Every newspaper you used to read was horror. The Miami show band being massacred, bombs going off, the most horrific things. For a young person, it was... Um, it was a dreadful, dreadful time to live. But having said that, it was counteracted by some of the greatest music uh, we, we have ever, ever experienced from the Stones to the Beatles to all the great rock bands and Elton John. And so there was a, a vibrancy of to being young, even though in Ireland it was counteracted by a lot of violence and horror. But it was a great time to be young. We didn't feel that uh, we were, which we were, we were poor, but uh, the joy going into Grafton Street and into Switzer's and into uh, Captain America's, which just opened way back in the 70s, listening to Christopher playing the piano uh, and Phil Linus walking around Grafton Street like he was a troubadour. These were great times, but when you're young, Sometimes you just have nothing but optimism. And I think we did. We had nothing. We had, we had, no, we had no phones. If, if you wanted to make a phone call, you went to a local phone box and uh, tried to dial a number and you realized that some couple of guys kicked the whole thing in and robbed the money. So, uh, which is a good sign because, you know, if, if you're going to be late for a date, uh, well, sorry, I phone box was burned down and I couldn't ring you, you know. Yeah. So these were the times we lived in. Okay. And as you said, Belfield, UCD had only just started and you started doing commerce, which nowadays is such a, it's such a mainstay of just college life of the person from Dublin. People want to go to UCD, go to your Trinities. And mm. as you said, back then the country was not nowhere half as established as it is now, both as a vibrant, like kind of tourist destination to even a place that, you know, has so many great colleges and educational systems because it was just a different time. But what transpired when you finished commerce, you get your degree, or I'm only presuming you got your degree unless you're hiding something from me. Where does that leave you? When you get a college degree in Dublin, more often than not, you know someone that can get you a job or else someone knows another person that can get you a job. Like, where did that leave you? You've got a piece of paper in your hand. Yeah, well, listen, um, at the end of, uh, say, the, the middle 70s, 
uh, as I said, Ireland was a bleak, bleak place. Uh, you know, very little um, opportunity for what we used to call traditional Irish Catholics. All the solicitors' practices, the accountancy practices, uh, all of the major industries, uh, from Guinness to uh, you know any industry you can think of, was owned by what we call the uh, the Protestant ascendancy classes. So uh, Craig Gardner, which was an old Protestant accounting firm, uh, decided to sort of break that mold way back in the 1970s. And they had a, a scholarship for people who got certain marks in their second year in uh, the BCom. Uh, and I, funnily enough, I have no idea how I did it. I got 100% of maths in the second year. Uh, it must have been a fluke, but I got did it. You, did you cheat? And they <laughs> offered me a job. And this is a very old, staunch Protestant. Uh, uh, it's now Pricewaterhouse Coopers, uh, the biggest firm in the world. But Craig Arden in those days was run by a very old uh, Quaker, decent Protestant uh, firm. They had all the Protestant companies. They had Guinness and everything and all the... So I suddenly got, got in there. I couldn't believe it. And so did Paul Coulson, who is now one of the richest men in the world. Uh, loads, of other, loads of other guys who have made it over their lives. Uh, it was an amazing breakthrough. They realized that they couldn't keep employing uh, the same stereotypical Protestant uh, a boy. The new Ireland was changing. They knew uh, that the education that was uh, free education that was uh, started by uh, uh, O'Malley in 1966 for free education for everybody. Uh, Trinity opened up uh, their first Catholic uh, student in 1969, I think, before it was only Protestants only. So the world was changing. It was a, it was a, a revolution. And Craig Gardner, in fairness to them, they, they started to uh, uh, bring in what, rather than being uh, a son of a very wealthy merchant, they brought in talent. I'm not saying I was talented, but they brought in... Uh, Supposed talent. Yeah, uh, people uh, from uh, UCD rather than just from Trinity. But uh, we have so many, many great names that, that I was with that time and I'm not mentioning Coulson, I've just been with many, many others. And we were the vanguard of the breaking down of this religious, stereotypical, uh, uh, somebody who's Protestant works for Craig Garner, and somebody who's a Catholic works for, it was Stokes, Kennedy, Crowley in those days, a very small firm. Same in the legal profession. Uh, but that was the, that is the 70s story. We had just come out of uh, what I would describe as a very strange world where everybody was Protestant, Catholic, uh, wealth, no wealth, poverty, uh, inherited wealth. So it was a revolution. And I feel it was a wonderful, wonderful um, time to be on in that revolution. So everything was obviously changing, um, which to my extent, I haven't got to feel that huge change yet in my lifetime where you've gone to, this is a real you know, shifting of the guard or times have really changed perhaps after this, this virus that could be cultural changes and whatnot and social norms do change for um, future generations. But when you get that work, like, do you find yourself saying, okay, I've got work now, I've gone through college, Ireland is still the place for me to be? Because I know you end up going over to England at one stage. Like, was it still an uncertain time economically in the country that, say, led you over to um, London or England or wherever you were based in that time? Or was it just purely circumstance that made you eventually... Well, I didn't. Uh, I I only went to England to work in a bar when I was going through college, not not when so I was, was training. Not when I was training. Uh, uh, I worked down the Millwall docks uh, in the pub 
uh, when I was to get my university fees. In those days, there were only about uh, 300, as you say, punts. How did uh, that work, though, as in your you had college to, and UCD? Yeah, yeah, you had to go. Uh, I worked in uh, I worked in the pub uh, and we got our univer- uh, university. And because my father, um, I'm not saying he hadn't got money, he hadn't really. He was relatively, uh, he's a teacher. He had, uh, so he said, listen, you do, if you want to go to college, you uh, work and get your college fees. And that's the way we did, we did in those days. Uh, parents didn't give uh, their children anything because they were poor and uh, they were trying to survive themselves. So people who, who got through life in those days had to really uh, work, uh, work during the summer, uh, even work during their college times uh, to to, to uh, pay for their own because it never came unless you were extraordinarily wealthy, which there was very few in uh, in Ireland. But anyway, I joined Craig Gardens, and two of the funny stories, just to lighten up the mood, was I was a bit, um, you know, I was a bit of a, a long-haired ginger in those days, and... Um, Still are. Yeah, uh, and um, I always remember uh, one of the uh, most stupid things I did, uh, I was doing an audit as a junior in Wiggins Teep, which was the paper manufacturer who produces envelopes and uh, sleeves of paper for, uh, you know, for all business. And I was at a disco uh, one night on a Saturday night. I met this uh, a girl from Glasgow and, uh, and I had a slow dance with her, which I thought was kind of the start of a relationship, uh, which we obviously didn't. <laughs> and, uh, uh, tried to do uh, a few moves on it, and she said, listen, I'll give you my number. In those days, she used to give your the address uh, and write to me. So she gave me her address in Glasgow. So I went into Wiggins Teep, uh, uh, and I was doing a bit of the auditing business, and I uh, wrote her a letter saying how much I liked her and everything, and I, I'd love to meet her again, and blah, blah, blah. And... Uh, I sealed the envelope, and Wiggins Teep had um, what used to be the old days, a franking machine, which used to post all letters out to business. So I threw my letter in there with the address she gave me. And a, a week later, I arrived into the canteen to uh, all the workers there laughing their heads off as my letter was presented <laughs> on the... Uh, uh, on the wall, uh, in the, uh, the message board, return to sender address unknown, opened, to which I was dragged in by uh, Gordon Buttonshaw, who was the head partner, who accused me of uh, misappropriation and downright stupidity for not paying for the stamp <laughs> to which you won. She gave, obviously gave me the wrong address. So, and they, all, all the staff in Wigan Sea read my stupid letter. Anyway, that's just one of the many things. And the other time I was walking along um, uh, California Heights, which is in Ballyfermot, <laughs> which a uh, n- uh, number of, Ironically uh, named. Which is now the Unifar, it was a pharmaceutical company. It was, uh, uh, it is California Heights. And uh, I was uh, walking with my umbrella to another. Uh, and the uh, a wind gusted me, and uh, I flew into this pond, an ornamental pond outside the accounting area, to which everybody looked out and saw me. So there are two highlights of my time as an auditor, a young auditor in Craig Garden. And what what came? What evolved? What came next in the journey of yourself? And before we get on to um the marriage and why i'm here talking to you now but like what happened in between those years like your mid-20s to maybe early 30s which ultimately shaped you to what you became and the line of work in which you eventually came into yeah and you got to experience you know the the celtic tiger or the tail end of the celtic tiger before it's final meow 
But what um was uh, well, and my win- yeah. uh, my I must say, and I always would say to my sons as well, your twenties are your great years. Uh, your thirties are the not so great years. <laughs> and the forties are the responsibility years. The fifties are holy shit, where's my hair gone? <laughs> uh, and the sixties is. I couldn't give a shit. Seventies <laughs> yes. is uh, take me now, Lord, because uh, so my twenties were great. Uh, I had I moved from um, Craig Gardner to ACC, even admittedly in the middle of a, a dreadful recession. But I had a very good job. I had two houses in Bowden Park. I met a lovely girl called Jared Fitzpatrick, Ivor Fitzpatrick's uh, sister. We were in love, uh, and I won't mention anything about uh, the sex in case the war department <laughs> talks about it. But uh, it was a wonderful time. Uh, but she was uh, borderline radio rental. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, But great fun. And uh, I had a ball. I, I moved in circles, which I never thought I'd move in. Uh, the biggest, richest people in Ireland who had money in those days. And... Uh, but it was a, a very sad time. And then I bought McDade's pub with a great pal of mine, uh, uh, Paul Keaveney. We were heroes at 32. Yeah. We had a pub. We had a job. We had Rob, Rod Stewart coming in from the hotel, ZZ Top, Elton John. It was a great time to be alive. It was a wonderful time. And then I met your mother one night after... Closing up in my dates, I went to Gigi's, as they say, um, howling, howling for um, love. Uh, and uh, she was there with uh, her friend um, Alfonsina. I was half thinking of asking Alfonsina up, but uh, as fate would have it, uh, I said to Claire, she'd like to dance. And the rest, dare I say it, is not history, but <laughs> there's, there was more drama to come. Yeah. <laughs> well, to say the very least, yeah. And just to park that with um, meeting Colette, all that stuff, I want to push that just away for a quick seconds. And with, do you want more? Get that into you. <laughs> so, with regards to the MacDade's pub hmm. you were in college working and, and then that's a slightly different line of work managing a bar but with regards to that because McDade still exists now um, and it's still one of the well known pubs and hmm. like you said it's beside the Westbury I've seen countless um, celebrities floating oh, around yeah, there yeah. Um, like what did that teach you about business about uh, life in general on such an influential pub because back then as you said well it didn't teach me a lot uh because i know when i go into my trades everything you see there's everything i designed with a great old pal of mine jim mcnaughton from tile style uh but we designed that place so i almost feel like uh, when i go in there it's me and jim mcnaughton with the tiles the murals the way it was designed, and I just feel there's a part of me there that we created that. But I just feel when I go in there, that's a place or a part of me that I did. And we created something very nice. It was an old Moravian church. It was a preserved building, etc., etc. But uh, and anybody young listening should always remember life is all about experiences and you never have any regrets you never worry about your failures you never worry it wasn't a failure i never thought my date was a failure i thought it was a great success but i'm still proud when i go in there for a drink and i look around and i say everything in there is what i designed with jim mcnaughton so there's a part of me there so i'm happy i'm at the end of the day you can't judge you know, something on a material basis, you have to look on the aesthetic, you know, which that uh, McDade's has been there for 
since we did out did the whole renovation uh, and great artists who are a great pub pub guys who did it for nothing so it stands stands uh, a good legacy yeah yeah well said and before I get into the trials and tribulations of of marriage or anything else related to that um I want to talk about your final years in as a working man in a business working in finance working in the IFSC encountering what now is like just everyone recalls the Celtic Tiger and like the last few years was you building up towards you know now it will always be etched and even with COVID-19 now there could be another massive recession ahead of us but the Celtic Tiger and the end of that is still the ripples are still mm. felt today like what was it like working in that time when the boom was there the boom was back so to speak and um, did you see it coming? Well, you jumped, you jumped, Richie, a little bit um, because uh, when I worked in ACC, uh, we were doing a lot of liquidations and a lot of big uh, meat factories were closing down. It was a horrible time in the uh, in the late seventies, and, the, and then I left um, ACC and I said I set up this company called David F. Allen Associates in Hatchstreet, and I was. Uh, before I met your mother, I had a little office. There was a phone that never rang. Uh, and downstairs with these old years used to do secretarial work. So I sent out le leaflets to everybody that I used to know in ACC and all the business that I used to know. And uh, I used to sit there. That was 1986. And then I had some shares in the, um, in the stock market. Uh, I thought I was doing all right. I had an apartment in Wellington, uh, Wellington House and Wellington Road. Uh, I was free and single. And uh, then in 1987, the stock market crashed. <laughs> I was uh, a rented apartment in Wellington Road. I rang up my broker, Shay Morris, who's a great friend of mine to this day. I said, Shay, what's happening? He said, David. The market's crashed. I said, uh, can I sell anything? Sell anything? <laughs> There's no bids. I said, I'll make a bid. He said, no, you can't make a bid because you're selling. <laughs> so uh, I always remember that. And uh, I was there three uh, three years uh, building up David F. Allen Associates. I got involved in uh, uh, a number of ventures there, including a very profitable uh, business with uh, called Tide UK, and I won't mention, I, I'll talk to you privately about that relationship. Met a lot of people, did a lot of things, and uh, then I got a job in, uh, I was headhunted by AIB for the new IFSC operation, which meant you have to get on an airplane, uh, go away for a, uh, a week, come back with a deal, or you're dead. So I joined this uh, team of specialists uh, in AIB at 36 years of age. And we were given all the resources. Uh, and it was one of the most amazing experiences in my life was AIB. And we, all of the companies, I'd say without exception, was those 10 guys in AIB brought them into the IFSC. All the big names, all the great names you see now. We brought them in. Okay. And this is where it leads. Go on. And where does it lead to? As in, well, it le led to uh, an amazing opportunity for me and for you and your mother and everything. Uh, on our marketing trip, I went to Germany, uh, to Berlin. Uh, after the, the wall came down in 89, all the uh, German banks came together uh, and, and uh, with the German government, and they were created this massive big bank called Bankgesellschaft Berlin. So I went, I was in charge of Germany. Explica, bisschen Deutsch, tut mir leid, wie heißen Sie, and uh, what time is the pub closing up? Uh, uh, so um, 
So I went to Berlin to try to convince these people to come to Ireland and set up a subsidiary. And that's, um, I remember I said, I'll, I'll make a, uh, uh, as Robert would call it, uh, you know, a pitch. Uh, and, and I said, how many people are going to be there? And the man said, oh, well, we have all our, all our people. So I went to this um, big town hall, uh, big conference center, uh, to make this pitch, I thought I, I thought I was going to meet in an office, mm. but there's 300 people there, sitting, waiting for me. Why should we set up in Ireland? So with a, uh, a smattering of uh, Deutsch and English, I think it was probably better at English. Uh, uh, was I? No, I wasn't. I was better <laughs> at Deutsch, uh, and uh, so I convinced them that they should consider it, and then. The rest is history. They offered me uh, in a private meeting with a great pal of mine. Uh, he said, Davis, uh, I met him in a uh, restaurant tomorrow. He said, Davis, and uh, now we need to uh, talk about setting up the business, but who are we going to get as our chief executive? And I said, well, what kind of money are you talking about? We're talking about maybe we paid the, the best money. We paid 150000 <laughs> sorry, sorry, are you all right, David? No, I don't know. Just I'm having a heart attack. Anyway, uh, is it, do you think you could find somebody like who would take that um, job? I, said, I think it probably could. Me. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how it all happened. Mm. And what was that time like being head of such an organization? I've seen pictures of you with Bertie O'Hearn at the time. Bertie O'Hearn? O'Hearn. Like, <laughs> Bertie. That's what he used to call it. I met um, so many celebrities. I was a big swinging dick. Uh, I, somebody said I was the best page. Um, I ever see chief executive. There's limos everywhere. There was, uh, it was an amazing time. We brought your mother to Barbados, uh, sorry, Bermuda. Uh, New York. It was a halcyon time in the late the late nineties and early noughties. It was so unreal the amount of money we were all making. And um, when you were young and Robert was young, we had uh, chauffeurs driving you here. We went down to Barristan Bowls. We were the cores. We had, you know, we had everything. We had a life. You had, we were in the Waldorf Astoria. It was an, uh, an unreal, surreal world. And we realized it had to come to an end. It was like all these great booms and people just, and the Irish lost the run themselves. But don't criticize them for doing that because we never had it before. Yeah. We never had anything like this great Wealth, not it wasn't even great wealth by American standards, but we were, we were doing things. We're traveling the world. People could go on their holidays. People could go to Spain. They could go to oh, I'm going to California. Hello, that's the first time and anybody has gone to California in the last fifty years in Ireland. Normally, it's some Hollywood stars would come over and visit from California, but this was a revolution, a revolution of people with money, uh, first time they ever had felt proud that they were uh, doing things, it, it, but it was illusory. And uh, the whole party was like the big punch bowl was taken away and everybody just had to sober up. Yeah, and that that's um, still well documented today. And to get away from that, the period of your work and stuff like that and talk a bit more about family life, which a lot of people argue is the most important. And especially in times like now with COVID-19, people are, all people think about now is really their health and their family and friends. And you got married, ended up having two kids and one adoption, as you like to say, three kids. <laughs> but just to lighten up the mood a little bit, like what are some of the, 
I don't want to say disasters because nothing's ever a disaster, but there were some holidays that I think back and my brothers would think back to, or even you and Colette would think back to, is there any periods where we went off as a family and you look back on and went, Jesus, that was some roller coaster for better or worse? Because there's a certain few ones in my head, whether it was the the diarrhea in Val de Lobo or even myself getting lost in Florida. Is there any that stick out, considering we've been on many, many, many family holidays over the years? Well, all I can say is, uh, Richard, uh, when you become a parent uh, and you have three, what I would describe as uh, wild men, as you all turned out to be, all dis- uh, disparate, uh, different, um, different personalities, uh, it is what we were doing with your mother, who's uh, a bit flighty, uh, <laughs> you know. And uh, well, in Florida, when we were there, uh, we we're down to Disneyland, and I said, Clash, I'm going to book in with all the uh, six suitcases that I had to lug from the car. Uh, there was more uh, sweating like a, a priest in a crash. And I said, uh, I said, listen, will you look after the three of them? Uh, yes, I will. To which he immediately gravitated, like uh, you know, the universe, uh, a, a gravity into the black hole of shopping, uh, which and left Richie to walk over uh, across the motorway into a golf course. So I always remember that. Uh, and I, I said, Clash, where's Richie? Oh, I don't know. I was just having a look at the shops. The shops? <laughs> it's a hotel. It's not a shopping mall. Where is he? And happily you can. But with those wonderful, wonderful uh, Penina, uh, you were very young, uh, and Mark was very young, but and uh, Robert, uh, the swimming pool, uh, it's just the memories of when you were young. And that's what I say as an old man now, the memories of when you were a child, or my three sons were a child, are the most vivid and most beautiful memories. Just to uh, Mary Black, when she was interviewed uh, recently, she said, uh, you know what she'd love if she was given a wish is to go back uh, to the time our children were really young, like age nine, five, six, and just to go to them and help them. And that, to me, was the most poignant, beautiful, beautiful uh, statement by any parent. They would like to go back in time and see their three, five, two, one uh, children and just go back to when they were babies or young. Not babies, just young. And just give them a big hug. Yeah, well said. I can only imagine. And that also gets me on to a little topic, um, a light-hearted topic and a stressful one at that. Yeah. But... You being the father of three kids meant that you had to raise them. You had to see them go through school and on to college. But was there anything during the school years? And there was definitely a few ups and downs. Whether it was with myself, Mark and Robert, we had a fair share of run-ins with teachers. I conveniently went back and actually worked in the school as a coach and also as a teaching assistant. But was there any particular moments when you think of your kids in school is there any stories you look back on and went jeez that was that was rather mental well Robert um, uh, was the first obviously to go and he <laughs> had uh, the impish uh, boyish uh, adrenaline f- fused uh, I don't know what it was with Robert he just was so excitable and excited. Uh, he wanted to be the center of attention. He still does. was driven by being uh, the leader of the pack. He was had to be the man that did it. Uh, he did get into a couple of uh, scrapes by dropping his trousers in front of... Uh, 
some of the yummy mummies uh, uh, years ago, but I'm sure that I'm sure that police have overlooked that. Mark was the shyer one. He was the the one who thought he was uh, he should have been living in Darndale, but he ended up in St Michael's, uh, and that's what I always found about Mark. Mark. Uh, he said, oh, uh, rugby, oh, effing hate the fucking place, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, they don't play ball here, you know, oh, you yeah, know, they don't rob cars. And I said, Mark, just calm down with you, for God's sake. A revolution is all about not actually, uh, and violence against your own, your own status. Richie, uh, you were the man that all of a sudden arrived from Planners Zog, <laughs> landed in Paradiso Perfecto, uh, St. Michael. This was your nirvana. It was, Richie, you're brilliant. You're a great rugby player. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks very much. Uh, uh, you're not great, very good at school, are you? No, who gives <laughs> a shit about that? Uh, and you were adored. You had so much talent, uh, and uh, and all of a sudden you just seemed to just morph into Saint Michael. You were uh, a boy who loved loved uh, being in Saint Michael's College, and you felt happy there, and you felt uh, respected, and you felt energized. You felt. You were a part of something, and you, as it shows, you, you loved it. And the only thing I can say about anybody, whoever goes to uh, school, I don't give a shit whether they get eight honours and 950,000 points in the legal cert, if they don't go through their happy adolescence and feel uh, they've achieved something, and happy, well, it's been a waste of time. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's, I think, the biggest um, credit I can give to the school is that I'm still 25 and the amount of times I'm with people from other schools and mm. you're with, say, a few Michael's ads and with other schools and you'd be talking about even things that happened eight, nine, ten years ago and they'll be like, ah, here, just forget about it, get on with it. And the whole point is, you know, they were such great times that clearly you didn't get to experience. You view school in a different light than we do. It was such an influential part. It was the best and yeah. the worst times, whether it was to do with school, whether it's to do with your friends or even school, uh, the rugby side of it as well. Yeah, but Richie, I want to just add, because this is kind of more like, an, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, calendar event of life but uh, nobody can describe uh, what it's like to be a parent and I'm, I'm talking for your mother as well to have uh, children and uh, to love those children is uh, beyond any any sense of imagination or to adore them You're, uh, you would throw yourself in a uh, off a cliff to save them seriously and that's what uh, parenthood is all about. You would do anything. If, if uh, some Nazi Gestapo <laughs> got shot, said, right, you are the child, uh, uh, you would you would take the bullet. And that's what parenthood is all about. Yeah. You love somebody more than you love yourself. And that's the difference between being single and being married. Uh, with children. And listen, I don't criticize anybody who's single and have no children, and I, I I understand all that. But when you have children, you'll take the bullet first. Yeah, well said. Well said. Well, yeah, die in front of me when... Uh, apart, <laughs> it, apart from, <laughs> it, 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 apart from the, if it's Robert Mark or yourself. <laughs> I know, I, oh. I love you equally. And... Is there any, just the last thing I'm going to ask before your other sons have sent on some stuff, mm. is there any particular moment where you as a parent, you look back on or even at the time you thought, 
whether this is what being a parent's all about, or was there ever a moment where you, the, I'm trying to phrase this question to get it. So, like, was there ever a time where you just witnessed a moment with one of your sons where you were just like, this is what parenting is all about, or this is why I'm a dad? Yeah. Well, it's obviously, and I'll talk about you in a minute, but I always had a small soft spot for Mark. Careful, man. <laughs> uh, uh, soft spot. Uh, it's a swamp in Louisiana. No, a money job. Uh, no. <laughs> no, it was when he had his grommets and things like that, and he was sick in hospital once. And uh, I just uh, got so emotional. I stayed with him for two nights. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and he was... And the first time Mark... Mark pushed away uh, a little bit of affection, uh, didn't want to be hugged as much as uh, Robert and yourself did. But I just felt so, so loving towards the boy. And he was so worried and he and he was he wanted me to be beside him when he was in hospital. And I, I stayed with him for two nights, uh, slept with him, uh, in in the op uh, in the in the hospital, and I always felt uh, I just felt there's something, uh, and that was to me. Mark showed he do, he did because he used to push people away, and but he needed me then. And I always was delighted that I was there with him. Robert, uh, you uh, the saddest well. When we went down to Vincent's, Doctor after <laughs> after after uh, Anfield disaster. After Anfield, when you were looking back uh, about <laughs> five leashes of feck and Fanta, and I said, "Jesus, I cut down to the old Fanta son." <laughs> <laughs> and then when we went into the hospital, and you were diagnosed with uh, diabetes, yeah. and I just I looked at your face, and I said to myself, and she said. Yeah, you know, it's it's only diabetes, you know? <laughs> you know. And I just said, I just and we, and your mother and myself just bawled our heads off. I said, you could have said I have West Nile disease, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, SARS or whatever. Uh, and we just, but anyway, I suppose that's what all a family is all about. When Mark was young and baby, and uh, and Robert. Uh, Robert was lucky. He didn't have too many issues other than um, <laughs> alcoholism. Uh, and I'm only joking, Robert. Uh, uh, no, we love. But without you three guys, uh, I would not in any way be the human being I am today. Because mm. you've given me one million times the pleasure uh, that I would have got if I hadn't got you. I would have been a miserable bastard uh, without the three of you. It's one of uh, the most indefinable things about being a, a father. The love you have for your children and the love you have for your sons, it's indescribable. You would literally walk in front of a bus. Literally. Literally walk in front <laughs> of a bus to knock them down. Sorry, I mean... <laughs> uh, Sorry, to drive a bus, to drive a bus to knock them. No, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, we would listen. We'd give our lives to save each and every one of you. And I love you to bits. Well said. Uh, I think to throw a bit of that back at you, it's important to know that, like, you referred to there the day um, I got diagnosed with diabetes. And I remember thinking... Every every little bit of me that's reacted to what many would take as a life-defining illness mm. or a mm. terrible moment in it, everything I'd learned and everything I'd learned from maybe yourself or even Colette was that, like, life does go on and that also you need to find the best of the bad situations. Yeah. And the one thing I always... When someone goes, oh, what did your parents ever te teach you? There's only loads of stuff, and I could write pages. I could write a book on it. But like the one, the main thing says, 
is that life can be absolutely brutal at certain stages, but how you find the good in that and just move on, I think is the biggest thing that you and my, and Colette, my mother have taught me. And I think that is to date the most valuable thing I have that even at this time when we're in a lockdown and we're forced to stay at home, you find the best of that bad situation. When you get told your life will never be the same, you have to stick insulin into your in your pork belly every single day Mm. you find the best in that situation and then that goes even further on from that and even you get better perspective on that so i haven't really got the opportunity to thank you mom for that but like that is genuinely one of the things i'm most thankful for is that that life is a journey you have to take it take the good with the bad you have to appreciate what you have work hard for things you don't and I think they're all the things that you've kind of embedded into my mind also with the aid of Colette. And I, I, I think Rob and Mark would agree with that. So I do want to thank you now because you rarely get thanked. You rarely, you mostly get abused and um, comedic value is often put in front of realism. So I do want to thank you for that. Um, and the last few things here. I've been sent on a few quick fire questions for you. Yeah, ready for them. Yeah, um, yeah. Subject um, to um, subject to edit, but um, this may or may not have been sent from uh, someone in the family. Mm-hmm. But the best pint of Guinness in Dublin, I would say, um, subject to uh, uh, maybe a, a sort of a survey which I would conduct myself. It would might be uh, Kyo's, followed by Neary's, and then if you want to go down to some uh, slightly dodgy place near the bus station, uh, Mulligans. But they don't clean the glass in Mulligans. So I would go uh, Kyo's uh, one, uh, uh, Neary's two, and if you want a sloppy one, but good one, uh, Mulligans. Okay. What was it like getting to know your in-laws? It was like going into uh, an alternative (laughs) universe uh, where the cast were all like goblins and uh, Game of Thrones and uh, like lights flickering around the place and people jumping at you, coming out of walls and attics. No, uh, apart from that, uh, there were the maddest bunch of arseholes I've ever come across. Anyway, um, but uh, Gresh, uh got myself, for some odd reason, um, just parked the in-laws uh, in the asylum and uh, moved on. <laughs> Your favourite song of all time and why? Uh, favorite song of all time would be um, uh, it would be yesterday because uh, uh, at the moment during lockdown I'm dreaming of yesterday in the hyperbole uh, about. Yesterday, when I was in Ashton's, drinking creamy, creamy wines. And people were saying, hello, David. How are you? Hey, give us a high five. Give us a huggy, baby. And then, hey, another little, Jesus. And give us a kiss. Uh, uh, And so it'll be yesterday. By Paul McCartney. Uh, Your favorite film of all time. Favorite film all the time. I'm 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 narrowing it down to a couple. Uh, for sheer brilliance, uh, an enigma. I would say the usual suspects. The acting was brilliant in it, uh, and we didn't know at the end. Uh, no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers alert. Uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, uh, uh, featuring probably the great greatest last. With Gene Hackman at his very best, and Angelica Houston and the Wilsons, and everything. it was a, a just a beautiful uh, 
postscript to some great actors and also a little peon to uh, New York and the brownstone uh, and how crazy some of those people were, the artistic. And second last question, your top, top moment with each of your songs. Uh, Robert. Yeah. Uh, yes, let's uh, go back. Go, let's, <laughs> let's get this gobshite out of the way. Uh, I was in the um, uh, Viceroy, uh, Viceroy in Santa Monica with this other chap that wasn't supposed to be with this girl from Fitzwilliam. Uh, and uh, he was, we we're having a drink near the swimming pool. This is the Hollywood stuff. And uh, I looked at this, well, I, could only describe as a vagrant, uh, dilapidated. Uh, and then I realized it was Robert. And he came up, he said, Hi, Dad. I'm back from Burning Man. You won't believe what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Robert, sit down. I said, well, You look absolutely shagged. He said, Shagged? I've been shagged for the last. <laughs> so um, so uh, that was one of the amazing moments of Robert. Yeah. Mark, um, Mark was uh, when I went to see him play in Saint Augustine. Uh, he was he was playing a, a soccer game after being in, and I said, "Jeez, uh, I'm going down to uh, Car uh, Florida to see my son playing soccer." Uh, I said, "This is brilliant." And the previous night I was in. Uh, uh, San Amelia Island and chatting to a couple of old women who said, you're so attractive. I said, well, this is my type of town. <laughs> yeah, I must say, I like, the, I like the blind people. Anyway, <laughs> and, uh, and then I went to see Mark and uh, he played very well against uh, St. Augustine there. It was um, uh, uh, the university down there and I met him and I just felt so sad. So sad when he came off the pitch and he said, Dad, I was going the following day uh, and he gave me a hug and I, I had to drive down to Savannah and everything. I just felt so sad that my son was, I wouldn't see him again. Mm. That was so sad. I remember driving down to uh, Charleston, Savannah, and I said, I just only saw him for... I only saw him for 20 minutes, and it was the saddest moment of my life. I said, I won't see him again for another year. God knows how long. Andy, you. <laughs> uh, the problem, Charles. Well, there's a problem with uh, the problem, Charles. <laughs> it's the problem with the problem, Charles. Is the problem is he's like his feckin' old man. <laughs> he's a... Uh, almost like a symbiotic uh, uh, relationship. There's almost like a DNA match. Uh, there's too much of intertwining of humor and everything. And it's, but all I can say is the love I have for all of you, but Richie and myself, yeah, because he's here, <laughs> yeah. is just, yeah. But what moment, what moment when you think of me, I've been here for 25 years? Well, uh, with you, Richie, it's too many moments. You know, you're, pick one. you've had the, the great rugby moments, uh, you know, uh, playing for state lights, <laughs> uh, everything. Uh, but I think when I, if there's any special moments, well, we had great moments together, which Robert and Mark didn't have which is the sad thing, because we had uh, Russia Dortmund, we've had Barcelona. So I feel I don't want to overstress uh, the moments we had with you, because my son, the other two boys are equally important to me. Yeah. So I just think uh, you are a different type of animal than <laughs> Robert and Mark. And you're all different, and you're artistic, and everything. Uh, there's so many things I'm proud of, uh, 
what you've done. Um, you've great humor and great. Uh, let me see what was it. <laughs> What's your name again? Uh, Derek. Oh, Derek. <laughs> Shush, I thought you was uh, Fred. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, listen, I can't identify a moment because mm. it's a continual uh, situation. And I don't want to, but that we had some amazing experience together. And I don't want to say that in front of uh, Robert and Mark, because Mark was eight when he went to Ireland Road and uh, they were shouting, uh, eight and nine-year-olds were saying, you see you next Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you know you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, I adore both of you. And who's, who's the other guy? I don't know. I'm oh, sorry, Robert. Robert. <laughs> <laughs> listen, not. listen. Uh, it's only when you have children, and and you can't, you can't, uh, you can't sort of put that in the head of a young man. Or when you have your children, it's only when you have them, and that you know after the, your dying day, uh, you love them uh, without without any sort of uh, reason and uh, other than that they're yours and they're on the payroll. <laughs> Fair. And lastly, I always ask my guests this, and I'm not going to make you an exception. Sum yourself up in three words, Father. Sum myself up in... Um, uh, Sad, uh, early doors, uh, uh, renaissance in my 20s, and acceptance uh, for the rest of my life. <laughs> Sad, renaissance, acceptance. Yeah. Sad when I was young. Yeah. Uh, renaissance when in my 20s, and acceptance as I get older. Okay. Well, listen, that wraps it up. We're done. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much, Richard. And um, Richie, uh, you only say Richard when you're angry. Sorry, I beg your pardon, uh, Richie. And uh, uh, where where do I cash the? Uh, where do I get the, the cash? The check and my receptionist in the kitchen there. Will oh yeah, that's uh, that's Harry uh, uh, indoors. <laughs> Henry Asher Himmler. <laughs> anyway, thank you, David. Thank you indeed, Richard. It was a great pleasure.